Well, this morning we're going to be around in a few different places in the in the scriptures. If you're up on Facebook, we asked you a question about the difference between the love of God and the compassion of God. What is the difference between the love of God and the compassion of God? Many Christians don't have the ability to discern, don't don't know the difference between the two. And because of that, we get confused. And when we're trying to be out there, we got all this human emotion and all this stuff that's going on around us, and we are having a, a tough time. We think we're supposed to do one thing, but we just don't feel like it. And if we don't understand the difference between the two, we will get pulled out of the walking in the love of God. And that's the enemy's goal. He wants to get you out of the love of God. Because if he can get you out of the love of God, folks, he can get you defeated. Don't let them do it. We saw that one ditch on one side of the road trying to walk in the love of God is is uh, self-seeking. We become selfish. On the other side, it's self-denial. We've been looking at the self-seeking part, the selfish side mostly the last couple of weeks. And how people go from being unselfish to selfish. We saw that one of the things that comes to them is I might lose something. I might lose something that I want. Or I might not gain what I desire, or someone else might get what I deserve. Last week we were looking at Ananias and Sapphira, and we saw that they had a desire to do something good, but that the devil added to it. And sometimes we go after something that's good, but then we go after something more. Like, in their case, recognition. And that, uh, that didn't help them. That wasn't good. We ended up last week looking at the scripture from Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. And if we can conduct our, our way in that light, boy, I'll tell you what we help, help ourselves. Selfish ambition and conceit. We gave you some of the language of that. That when we start speaking things, speaking things like this, I need like, I need you to do this. I need such and such. Or I want. That's the language of selfish ambition. Get it out of your, get it out of your vocabulary. Don't be doing it. You can ask questions instead. Instead, I need you to do this. Would you do this for me? So it changes things. Or we, we looked at the language, I deserve. Or I don't deserve. I don't deserve to be treated like this. I don't deserve, or I do deserve. That's the language of conceit. I'm thinking more highly of myself than I ought to. So just giving you some of the language of it to help us with that. Here we're going to take a look at a couple of different things that Jesus taught. And we're not going over the teaching of what he was teaching. We're, We're looking at one particular thing that he put into each of these teachings here in the first. And the first one is the parable of the unforgiving servant. I'm going to read through it kind of fast because, we're again, we're not looking at all the things that he taught in this. We're looking at one particular thing that he said. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's an exorbitant amount of money. Millions in our in our um, way of looking at things. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and that all he had... And that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, 
and I will pay you. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due them. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart if if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Now he says, go back up here to verse 33, where he says, should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? We saw the first part that he came and he said, have patience with me and I will pay you all. He got down on his knees. He, he was begging, basically. He's asking for mercy. When you ask for mercy, it's something that you know you don't deserve and don't have a right to. But you're asking for it anyway. And he knows he doesn't have a right for this, but he's asking for mercy, even though that word is not used. And mercy is extended to him. And then someone else comes and he asks them for the money. And he they ask for mercy, but he doesn't give it to them. Puts them in the jail. And so he gets called back before the, the king. And he says, and he brings up this word, Compassion. Compassion. Now we look at this particular story and we can get the idea that as Christians we are to have compassion on all people. And if I do not have compassion on people, I am not walking in the love of God. How many have ever thought that? If I'm not walking in compassion towards other people, I'm not walking in the love of God. That's a lie right out of the pit of hell. The Bible never commands you to have compassion for everyone. But we look at this story and it kind of reinforces that thought. Because the man is put into, his, his forgiveness is revoked because he did not have compassion. So if this man got in trouble for not having compassion, how is it that we are not supposed to be having compassion ourselves? Or what is the, what is the rules for compassion? So, that's, uh, we saw what was in there. Let's go over to Luke chapter 10 verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell down, or fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you more you spend, when I come again, I will repay. So which of these do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed what? Mercy on him. You will notice that very often the Bible interchanges the word mercy and compassion. 
that seems that they, they, they just switch, just like in this story, before we just said compassion, now we say mercy, describing the same act. Just keep that in mind. And he said, he who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So we should take from that that we need to extend mercy to, to everyone, right? That we should send, we should have compassion on everyone, because this is what Jesus is, is teaching here. And if I don't have compassion on some people, I just think about this. Just think about this past week. Were there people that you came in contact with that you did not have compassion for? <laughs> not asking you to raise your hand. Just think about it. Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. This is the story of the prodigal son. I'm just reading the one verse here. He rose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now this is the son that had taken the, the money and had gone and squandered it, used it on riotous living. And um, then when he came back, the father saw him as he came onto the property. And he ran over there and had compassion on him. Now, for most of us, if we're going to have compassion on the son, we chase after him. But this father did not chase after him. He waited for the son to come to him. So these are three places where Jesus in his teaching talked about compassion. Let's go on over here to Mark chapter 1, verse 39. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus moved with what? Compassion stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So he said, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. Now we've talked to you about healing in the past and we told you that there are three ways from which Jesus healed. One was from the position of faith on the part of the receiver. The second was on the part of compassion on the part of the giver, which was most of the time Jesus. The third was when it was a combination of faith and compassion. When faith wasn't quite there, there was some faith, but compassion met the rest of the, the, the distance, closed the rest of the distance, and it was done. Either faith, compassion, or a combination of both. The woman with the issue of blood, was she, was she healed by compassion? Jesus didn't even know who it was. There was no compassion on the part of the giver. In fact, Jesus is even asking, who touched me? Jesus was uninvolved, except the power went out from him. There are certain people that Jesus walked by and had compassion on. And it would say that Jesus moved with compassion. Let's take a look at another one. Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin at verse 18. And when he got into the boat, he had he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Now the whole big part of the story is Jesus uh, had gone over to the other side. He's saying, you know, this famous story, let's go over to the other side. They had the big storm and they tried to sink the boat and they didn't. They got to the other side. All they did in that area was they ministered to this one man. 
Demon casts out of him, gets back in the boat, and goes away again. That's all he does. He goes over there for one purpose, it seems, and that is to get rid of this uh, demon. But it's done, it says, on the compassion of Jesus. Well, there was no faith on his part because he was demon-possessed. There weren't any words, anything that was expressed about his faith. In In Matthew chapter 14, in verse 14, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. He was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. He also fed them, moved with compassion. In Mark chapter 8, verse 1, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. So he had compassion on them and fed them. Does Jesus always feed a group of people that comes out to hear him teach? No. But on this particular group, he had compassion on them, it says. And he did so. Mark chapter 9, verse 22. This is the demon spirit that the disciples could not cast out. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and they bring him to him. And they say, if you could do anything, do something for him. And Jesus asked them, question how long this has been going on, and he answers in verse 22. And often he has thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He's calling upon the compassion of Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. When he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he was he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Now, we only read of one time where he interrupted a funeral procession for the purpose of raising the young men to life. This is the only one we have. I'm not saying it is the only one. It's the only one we have recorded. He may have done it another time or two, but it does not seem to be commonplace that Jesus stops funeral processions and uh, just uh, raises them up. But this one, he had compassion on the woman, the, the widow who was burying her son. He had compassion on her. And he said to her, don't weep. Now, what would you think if somebody came up to you, you're in the funeral, you're getting ready to bury your son, and somebody comes up to you and says, stop crying. <laughs> what, what are you telling me not to, to stop crying for? I'm the one who's going through this, this tough time. And I don't know if, if she was expecting something, but Jesus moved with compassion, it says. One more, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into into his field. Go back up to verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them 
because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He had compassion for them. Now, if having compassion for someone is a result of walking in love, did Jesus ever walk a day on this earth without walking in love? Jesus, every single day that he was on this earth, walked in love because he said himself, if you walk in love, loving God the Father and loving the loving people, you'll hold up all the commandments. And we know that he held up all the commandments, so thereby he's walking in love. What? When does the Word of God ever say, and Jesus walking in love? Does the Bible ever say, make a note, that Jesus walking in love? Does it ever say that? Isn't it interesting that it never says Jesus walking in love, but we wrote over to you several times where it says in Jesus having compassion. So why is it that the Word of God seems to find it necessary to single out those times when He has compassion, but not those times when He's walking in love? Would it not be that the two are not the same thing? That having compassion on someone is a part from walking in love. But the enemy has put many a Christian under conviction because they think, if I don't have compassion for this person or this cause or this thing going on, I am not walking in love. And many times we have been brought into action because I think I'm supposed to have compassion in this particular area, but I don't feel compassion in that area, but I should because I'm supposed to be walking in love, therefore I will have compassion in this area for this person simply because I feel like I ought to. And so we have this compassion and then we get frustrated because I have to have compassion on these people and I don't feel I have compassion and it can actually just pull us right out of the love of God. Why is it made mention so many times in Jesus move with compassion and Jesus having com- compassion I put in your outline this, Jesus always walked in love, but was at times moved with compassion. He always walked in love, but was at times moved with compassion. In Jude chapter 1, verse 20, this is where we're going to spend most of our time. We just did all that to kind of just to introduce where we're, where we're going with this. In Jude chapter 1, verse 20, but ye, beloved, Building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now we all know that scripture. We like that scripture. We like the idea of going out there, praying in the Holy Spirit, building ourselves up. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now it says that praying in the Holy Spirit will build yourself up. If you want to build yourself up, then that's what you ought to do. If you don't have the interest in building yourself up, then um, then don't. Just understand, not every Christian feels like building themselves up and not every person feels like building themselves up every day. Now, if you were in the, in just in the natural, if you wanted to build up your body, where would you go? Go out to a gym, some kind of place, maybe in the basement if you got some weights down in there or, or whatever you might have. And you go out there and you start lifting weights to build yourself up, Right? Now, if you, if the purpose in your physical body was to build yourself up, how often would you work out? Would you work out 
12 hours out of the day? If you worked out 12 hours out of the day, first off, you'd be poor. You wouldn't have any, be able to go out there and, and work any, would you? We don't, but we don't have to build ourselves up physically 12 hours out of the day, do we? In fact, we don't have to do it for six hours. If you did it for an hour each day, how many of you know that'd be quite an improvement? We're not quite doing that, that hour every day. Maybe some people are, but for the most part, we're, we're not out there doing that. And you could be, you know, running, cycling, swimming, um, all the other sorts of things you could do besides lifting weights. But getting out there and making your body work, you don't have to do it all day long. All you need is, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45. You can just build yourself up in your physical body by just doing a, a few times. You don't need to be praying in the Spirit all the time. It's not going to hurt you. Your body needs physical rest. If you work it out all the time, you'll just wear it out. But you, you won't wear out your spirit. So you can do that more. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God. So before he says keep yourself in the love of God, he talks about building yourself up. Because if you don't build yourself up, you will not be ready to keep yourself in the love of God. I think I've, I shared this with you at least once before, but it always amazed me that um, uh, certain races, uh, like a marathon, actually give the warning that if you have not, uh, if you have not worked out, if you have not trained, do not run in the marathon. I'm thinking, what stupid person needs to be told not to run in a marathon without practicing or getting yourself ready for the thing? I was actually totally stunned. you got to be kidding me. Who in the world would go out there and just pick up and say, I'm going to run in a marathon? Apparently there are people that have done it. Just said, well, I'm just going to run 26.2 miles today. And they just uh, put the shoes on and they take off and go. And some harm came to them. <laughs> I don't know what harm exactly, but uh, some harm had uh, had come to them. It just amazes me that you have to be told. To me, it's pretty clear. Don't do it. Get yourself some, some, some training. Get yourself, uh, get yourself ready. I heard, uh, there was a, an idea for a race that it would have intrigued me if I had heard that it was going on. But, um, they, they never could find a sponsor for it. They had the idea for this particular race, but never could find a sponsor for it. And the race was to go up the Empire State Building. The idea for the race was to run up the Empire State Building. On the steps, not the elevator, up the steps. But the reason they couldn't find a sponsor was because they figured that people are nuts enough that they'd keep pushing themselves up the steps, even to the point of having heart attacks. And that, you know, people die in the race, it doesn't uh, leave a rugged uh, advertisement. And so they never could find people to sponsor that particular race. But you gotta, you gotta build up for it. You gotta get yourself ready. So many Christians, we want, we want to get out there, we want to walk in love, but we don't want to do the building up process first. The first thing he says before he says, keep yourself in the love of God is building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing that will get you ready. If you're having a tough time walking in love, more than likely, you're not praying in the Holy Spirit the way you ought to. 
Because according to Jude, that's the first thing you got to take care of. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. So, do you get from that that it's God's responsibility to keep you in the love of God? Or that it's yours? It's yours. It's your responsibility. I can keep myself in the love of God. And it's not the fault of anybody who's on my left or right or at home or in the neighborhood or or on the job. It's not their fault if I get pulled out. Guess whose fault it is? It's my fault. Because the Word of God says, keep yourself in the love of God. Who kept Jesus in the love of God? Jesus did. Who kept the disciples in the love of God? The disciples did. When Judas got off, was it God's fault? It was Judas's fault. He didn't keep himself in the love of God. He let other things come in. He let the enemy put things in his heart. These things came from outside. He didn't keep himself in the love of God. <clears throat> so keep yourself in the love of God. Now look at this. First thing you got to do, build yourself up. Second thing you got to do is keep yourself in the love of God. Third thing, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, does God extend mercy to everyone? And be real careful how you answer this. Does God give mercy to everyone? The Word of God tells us that He gives mercy to those who ask. If you don't ask, guess what? But think back into the Word of God. Let's go back into the Old Testament. Did God extend mercy to the Egyptian army? No, He wiped them out. Did God extend mercy to the inhabitants of Jericho? No, he wiped them out. Did God extend mercy to Sodom and Gomorrah? No. Nope. He wiped them out. Did God extend mercy to the people who rebelled in Israel? Like the sons of Korah? No. Nope. He wiped them out. On some, he sent fire, burned them up. Other ones, the ground opened up and ate them. There were times that plagues came on through. There were times that serpents were dispatched and they bit people. And they died. So are there people in the Word of God that He did not extend mercy to? There sure is. Now Paul was just about ready to have judgment come down upon him. And he had that little experience on the road. Light came down. And God says, hey, I'm going to paraphrase, knock it off. (laughs) Change your mind or I'm taking you out. Then he decided to change his mind. And God didn't take him out. But he could have. So how did Paul get mercy? He asked for it. He would ask for it. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, did they receive mercy from Jesus? No, because their attitude was wrong. Even when they came and they seemed like they were looking for knowledge, 
Is it right for us to pay taxes? And Jesus perceiving their heart. <laughs> he understood. He doesn't give mercy to them. Why? Because even when they would be asking for things, they're not asking with the right heart. You see, there are things that trigger the mercy of God. There are things that trigger it. Things that we can do that cause God to have mercy on us. And so then there are things we can do that cause God to not have mercy on us. Remember, uh, there was a young man in the Word of God. He had a relationship with a fish. Very close relationship with a fish. Much closer than he wanted to. And he was uh, sent to a particular town that he did not like. And he did not want them to repent. But God said, go to Nineveh. Preach the gospel. I don't want to. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going far away. I'm getting out of here. And so uh, God says, all right. You don't want to go by boat? I have other ways. And so God took them on over. Swallowed the fish. Fish spit them out. Now, it's one thing if somebody comes to your town and says, repent, because God's going to judge you. And it's another thing when a guy gets spit up on the shore by a fish. (laughs) And may have even died. And then comes back and gets resurrected if he did die. Or he just looks like he died. And that has a lot more weight. So in Jonah's disobedience, he opened the door for them to repent. If he would have just gone and said, hey, I'll go to repent. They said, ah, who are you? He could have gone on and said, God, I did it. They didn't repent. He says, you did it. I'll judge them. But as it was, they repented. And God, uh, God forgave them. Then Jonah got mad. I knew you'd do that. I knew it. All they had to do was repent. You'd forgive them. You see, there's certain things we can do to tap into the mercy of God. Now, the mercy of God is not the promises of God. The promises of God, you don't access through mercy. You access through faith. That confused some, some Christians. Listen to some of their prayers. They're trying to access the promises of God through the mercy of God. Oh God, please heal me. Oh God, please do this. I see that it's a promise. See, some of these people in the New Testament Jesus ministered to, they said, please heal me. They don't know it's a promise. But we know it's a promise. So we try and access the promise through mercy. You can't do that. The promises of of God are access through faith. That's believing. But then I can also access th- things through mercy. I don't have faith for that. I'm not in a position to be in faith for that. I don't know that I deserve that. I don't know um, uh, the, the Word of God's promise. Well, whatever might come up. And we, we tap on the mercy. But there's certain things that, that we, can, um, we, can, we can do to access the mercy of God so that mercy would come. And if you, if you don't think that, just go through the Word of God and look. Why does Jesus heal one man at the pool? Only one. Why does he only do one? Why does he do, do all of them? How many times does Jesus heal all their sick? But there at the pool, that one day, he just heals the one guy. Why is that? 
Because one guy accessed the mercy of God. Or one person was in faith. It's going to be one way or the other. But there's, there is mercy out there that God will do. And if I understand what God looks for in order to be merciful, then I know what I should do. See, the enemy has us confused. He has us going after things and extending mercy when God says, I've washed my hands of that one. I'll give you an example of that. Just one. We're not going to spend all the time on this. But you remember that there was a particular person in the Word of God that God repented of making him king. I've moved on to another. And Samuel was not ready to move on. And he kept praying for him. He kept interceding for him. And God says, quit it. I've already gone from that. We need to move on to another spot. See, he was, he was, his mercy side was still being accessed. But God's had turned off. This is where we get sometimes, is that we, uh, God's mercy side has been turned off. But we get in there and, and help out. Now, this, this gets to be a little tough situation. But I'll tell you one place where you'll see this with Christians, and that's in the area of money. I mean, if God has, has turned off helping in that situation, how many times have Christians gotten involved? Well, if God won't help you, here's some money. I'll give you some money. We know that God has been turned off from helping in that situation, but I'll step in and I'll help out. Why do we do that? Because we're confused. We don't understand that if uh, there are certain situations that God says, my mercy is not there. I have no mercy for that situation. I have no compassion for that situation. Now, you can see this turn on and off yourself. Have you ever been into, say you're going to the grocery store. We'll leave Walmart alone right now. <laughs> going to the grocery store, and you see a little child, and he wants a piece of candy at the register, and well, you pick up in the conversation that mama just didn't have the money for the little piece of candy for, the, for that. And so the little kid just says, okay, mommy, and puts the candy back. What's that do to you? Man, I'm going over there. I'm going to buy him five of those things and just give it to him. I mean, how neat was that? He just, he didn't try and uh, fuss and, and all that. He just understood and mom didn't, didn't have the money. And uh, mama, I got the money. Is it okay if I? <laughs> and uh, we feel like, because our mercy has been excess there. Our compassion was turned on. We, we want to help that one. And you know, movies are real good at this. Movies are real good at getting you... Um, we'll have this conversation with my, my wife sometimes. She'll look at this one character. I don't like that one. I just go to her and say, you're not supposed to. <laughs> they design that character and that actor is playing that character in such a way that you will despise that character. That you will not like them. And you're just going along with the program. Yeah, you watch some of those... Uh, Real fun movies that are that are out there. Um, uh, trying to think of the of the of the one where the football player turned into a really good football player and uh, family picked him up. Blindside, there it is. Family picked him up. I mean that they, they just move you. Here's a guy who's just uh, he has nothing and he's not demanding anything from anybody and just receives whatever you give him and 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 just very grateful for it. And you see someone like that, you just oh God, I, I want to get, I want to give them more. I want to help that person out. That's wonderful. And then you find other people ungrateful, 
And that just turns, turns you off to it, doesn't it? What do you think it does to God? An ungrateful heart turns God off. His mercies aren't, aren't going to go out there for people that are ungrateful. Word of God even warns about it. You see ungratefulness in people. Don't feel like, well, i got to walk in love, and so I guess I ought to go over there and help out. No, sometimes what Christians are doing, walking in love, is going against what God is trying to do to help those people get back right. Just think about it this way. If God is shut down from helping in that situation, what good can you do? But it's real hard for us to just wash, it, wash our hands of it. We gotta feel like we gotta get in there. Okay, let's get back over here to Jude. Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You're, you're supposed to be looking for it. If you're looking for mercy, that means it's not everywhere. Isn't that right? If I'm looking for it, that means that it's not all over the place. I gotta find it. I am looking for the mercy of God. When I find the mercy of God, I follow it. I put my mercy where God has put His mercy. But if God has turned His mercy off in a situation, that means His compassion is turned off, and so should mine. Go back to Samuel. Samuel, get up. Why are you still over there boohooing for Saul? I've moved on. You need to too. Now let's go on to this. It gets, it gets even better. Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now verse 22. And on what? Some is not all, is it? And on some have compassion. He's telling you right there, you're not going to have compassion on everyone. Because God does not have compassion on everyone. We were talking about puppies here this morning. I'm not sure how we got on talking about puppies. But how many of y'all know certain puppies can just draw the compassion out of you? Oh, look at that little puppy. Of course, puppies grow up to be big dogs. They don't always have as much compassion. I mean, some dogs are really nice, but, but, um, I don't know. Some of you may like chihuahuas, but I don't think anybody here has a chihuahua. I think that is the ugliest dog in every stage of its life. I think it's ugly from the time it was born. It grows up ugly and it is an adult. It is ugly. I think it is mean. And that's, we lived near one and it was the meanest dog in the block. It just was mean. Just growl at everybody. Just growled and growled and growled. Maybe there are some nice chihuahuas out there, but I have not met either of them. That's just, uh, I just don't think that a chihuahua just pulls out the compassion like a nice fluffy white puppy. Just bouncing around and, and playing and, and, and things like that. But if you find a dog, chained up in the backyard, snarling and growling, does that ignite in you the same compassion that the little puppy does? You see, there are things that can go on 
in you that ignite the compassion and then turn it off. It's the same thing with God. There are some things that ignite His compassion and some things that turn it off. And the more we walk in the love of God, the more we get turned on to what is it in God that ignites His compassion? What is it that caused Jesus to suddenly have compassion on that woman who's in the funeral taking her son down to the graveyard? And He says, hold on a minute. Stop stop crying. I'm going to take care of this. And He gets up there and pulls the guy out of the coffin. You better have some confidence. If you're going to stop the procession, hold on a minute, go up to the coffin, open it up, and start yanking the guy out. That's got to have some confidence right there. See, he was moved with compassion. When you're moved with compassion, you will, you will do some things. You know, some little kids move you with compassion that you want to act on their behalf, even if you don't know them. But something about them you want to act on their behalf. And other kids, you stand back there and says, Son, you get yours. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I don't like that sort of stuff going on. They're over there picking on other kids or doing stuff to other ones and, and we don't like that. But he says here, And on some have compassion. So keep yourself in the love of God. He starts off with, right? And on some, which means I can keep myself in the love of God while not having compassion on some people. Isn't that right? It's all in the same verse, section of verses here. Keep yourself in the love of God. Having compassion on some. On some have compassion. I'm not going to have compassion on everybody because God does not have compassion on everybody. There are some things that people do that ignite His compassion. People that are in pride, does that ignite the compassion of God? No, it shuts it down. People that are humble, that ignites the compassion of God. People that are in need, does that ignite the compassion of God? No. Need does not ignite the compassion of God. Look at Jesus coming back from uh, uh, Tyre. There's this woman. Have mercy on me. Pleading for her daughter. And Jesus ignores her. His compassion wasn't ignited. But she did something. She made a statement of faith. And that got his attention. And that woke him up and said, Oh, wait a minute. That woke him up. But that's, that got his attention. There's, there's faith here. There's faith here. I'm always ready to answer faith. Let's go with this. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. Making a distinction. So on some have compassion, not all. But he says making a distinction. The word there is diacrino. It means to discern, to judge, or to make a distinction. To discern or to judge, to make a distinction. That you have to make a judgment on where the compassion of God would be. Now bring this down into the, to the present day stuff. You know we've all had an exciting week here. 
of uh, watching court cases and, and stuff like that. And, and you have people with the Judge Kavanaugh issue and, and some people come down on the, on the women's side. Uh, Christine Ford and some people come down on the Kavanaugh side. And, well, I, I believe her. I heard that phrase going out there. We believe her. And other people, no, we stand with him. And it ignites whatever side you're on. It ignites your passion. But for the most part, people take a side based on who they like or based on a cause or based on who they identify with. I heard women all over the country taking a stand with Miss Ford because they were women feel all women should be believed. Therefore, they, they believed her, not based on any evidence, based on the fact that she was a woman and they were a woman. That was the reason for it. Other people, they took the side of Judge Kavanaugh because they believed in what he believed in. They believed in what he stood for. They believed in what they thought he would do. And so their, their reason for believing in it was not because of the evidence. The reason for believing in it was, I like this side or I like this side. Because really, when you look down to it, there wasn't really evidence on much of any side. You can look at the testimony and the contradictions in the testimony and maybe try and make that as evidence. But there was no evidence from something that happened 35 years ago. In fact, there wasn't a place. There wasn't a house. In fact, even the time was uh, sketchy. So there wasn't too much that you could find as far as evidence was concerned for that. And as far as evidence on the other side... Some people try and hold on to the evidence of, well, there was contradictory in the testimony and, and things like that. But how do you prove that you didn't do something? Or that something didn't happen? How do you prove it? It's, it's kind of tough to prove that I didn't do something 35 years or whatever time frame it was. It's pretty tough to prove that. That's why the evidence in the court has always been you have to prove that it was done. Not that it wasn't done. You have to prove that it happened. That's why if you're going to prove a murder, what's the one thing you need in a murder case? Number one thing you have to have. Before you even have a person to accuse, you must have a dead body. Got to have a dead body. You don't have a dead body, you don't have a murder. I used to love watching Matlock. I still do every once in a while. I put that on. And I remember one case in particular he was, uh, he was working on. And um, he was trying the whole thing. He was just trying to get reasonable doubt, reasonable doubt, reasonable doubt. And so he came up for his closing argument. If, you, if, you, if you've seen this one, maybe it'll ring a bell for you. came up for his closing argument and says, I hold to you that not only is he not guilty of murder, but there was no murder that was committed. Because right now, I'm going to count down and the person who's supposed to be murdered is going to be walking through this door. Are you ready? Ten. And he counted all the way down and got down to zero. And everybody in the entire courtroom turned and looked at the door. And he looked at the jury and he says, the very fact that you looked at the door means that you have reasonable doubt and you cannot convict this person. He won the case. I mean, that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> you got to have a dead body. You got to have evidence for the thing. And see, really, neither side had it. I mean, you don't collect evidence 35 years ago to make sure that you're innocent of a crime you don't even know you're being charged for. So there's really no evidence. I'm just throwing that out there, not to get you all to be on one side or the other or anything like that. It's just that um, uh, generally, 
people side with a uh, with a with a person that like if people who had been through that kind of a experience that Miss Ford said she went through sided with her because of what they had been through, not because of what whether they think she was genuine or not. And they feel that all women should be believed because of what I had been through. Now it's not true of all of them. My place I listened to had several women who called in who had been through it and didn't side with her at all. But there there are I heard people, you know, they sided with it because I've been through that and I think it's terrible. And just because she made the accusation, they uh they did that and they, they believed it. You see, we that's not how we're supposed to be, folks. That's not how we live our lives. There was an incident that happened here at church one time. This is years ago. I know some people were probably here, but I, we didn't make a big deal of it. But uh, there was a woman who accused a couple of boys of stealing from her purse. Now, I think they, she, she accused them of taking a wallet out of the, out of the purse. So, you know, that was brought to my attention that this was going on. And um, there was no evidence that she came in with a wallet or that there was any money that was in there. And um, these these boys had never done anything up until then. And I can t- attest, never did anything like that afterwards. But there was no evidence for the thing. And so I, 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 I told them, and you got to show me something. I'm not going to the people and accuse them of something without any evidence. I have to have some evidence. And the Word of God puts us on a thing. You have to have two people as a witness. If you don't have two people as a witness, then uh, the word's not established. And so there's certain things in the Word of God, and they weren't they weren't there. Uh, I am not bringing that accusation to someone and disrupting their life. This is this is years ago, and this is over something just a little bit of money that was in there. But you see, even even there, you you can't do it. I've had other situations where people have come and accused someone here in the church of something. Fortunately, it doesn't happen much. I mean, we've been here how many? The, almost three decades, and I can count those in- incidents on probably three fingers. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And when it does, and this person wants to bring in a, an, a, an account against somebody, you know, first off, you have there needs to be there needs to be evidence, or there needs to be some witnesses to the thing. And I, I, I told him, I says, now look, I'm not telling you I don't believe you. I'm not telling you that I don't think it happened. I'm not telling you that I think you're a liar. All I'm telling you is I cannot do anything with what you brought. And that's how we, that's how we left it. Because that's what the Word of God did. I don't have to wrestle with this. Word of God was real clear with me on it. Two or three witnesses. One witness isn't going to do it. Got to have two or three witnesses. So this is not a new thing going through this Judge Kavanaugh thing. We've been through it before. I've been through it before. And um, and now if we get two or three witnesses, you know, that's a that's a whole different matter. I think I told you this story a long time ago. When I first got into ministry, first got out of Raymond, got into ministry, and um, took over a youth group and caught one of the people in my youth group making out with one of the deacons in one of the rooms in the church. Caught them. All right, now I got this girl as a witness, this guy as a witness, and me as a witness. Now, we didn't have to... We dealt with it. 
and that, that was not a good that was not a good scene. That's not a, that's not something you want to break your you know cut your teeth on. First get in the first get in the ministry. But the higher ups that were the, that were there decided that well you're the youth leader now you handle it. Yeah, that's what they did with me. They, you, you're youth leader now you handle it. It's one of his uh, one of the pastors deacons, but because it involved one of my youth, I got to handle it. So we handle it. We took care of it. But you gotta you gotta have evidence. Now you see the devil loves this, and this is what bugs me about about the the church folks. We as Christians should not become passionately involved in one side or another when it lacks what the Word of God says it should have. You just shouldn't become involved in it. I've tried to tell you this throughout all the years because we're going to continue to have these things. Remember when some of the riots broke out? I told, I came up here, I even brought a couple of those situations out and told you, I am not the police. I didn't interview the people. I wasn't there. I didn't interview this side. I didn't interview that side. I don't have any op- any opportunity to interview the people that are involved. All I have is what the news media wants us to hear. And that's just to ignite your passion, get you fired up one side or the other. So I refused to get on one side or the other. I just said, if the authorities are there, we'll hear what's going on. And I just pray, Father God, I thank you that whatever the truth is, it will come out, that no lie will be able to stand. And whatever needs to be done in that situation, we'll take care of. And I did not let my passion get involved in on the, the side of the police or the side of the victim. Or the, or the perpetrator or whatever you want to call it. I didn't let my passion get there. And that's what you need to do. Because if the devil can get you off on these kind of things and get you passionately committed to one side or the other without any evidence, how easy is it for you to get your faith off? Don't tell me that you can hold on to the faith of God if you can get swayed by something like this. You cannot. Because if the devil swayed you on this, he will sway you on other stuff. All he has to do is ignite your passion and get you angry or get you mad at one thing or the other. And just don't do it. And I wouldn't do it. I wasn't going to give him that and I'm not going to give him on this one. I prayed on this one the whole time. That whatever is going on there, whatever side, if there is evil on either side, I say, Father, bring it to light. Bring it to light. Don't let it, don't let it stand. And these people that meant for evil, let it come to light. That was my prayer for the whole thing. I did not get passionately involved in one side or the other. Because I know this is a trick of the enemy. Because if he can sucker me in on that stuff, he's going to sucker me in on other things. Don't let him do it. But he's going to try and get you to, to sympathize because you have been through something that one of those people was through. They're the same color skin that you are. They're the same sex that you are. Whatever it might be. He's going to get you some way that you can identify with one side or the other and therefore you will believe that side simply because you identify. And that's not the way that the Word of God works. Don't do it. Don't fall for it. Let's keep on going on here with this. And on some have compassion. So not all. Making a distinction. Make a distinction. Make a judgment between who should have compassion and who shouldn't. And what are you going to use for a basis of judgment? The same thing that God has. When you walk in the love of God, 
you get to know that love. And you can look on a situation and just see the love of God is just drawing me into I don't know why. The love of God is just drawing me over to this side. And you just let the love of God lead you. But don't get your own identifying principles in there. It won't help you out. So when some have compassion making a distinction, now look at verse 23. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. All right, what in the world does that all mean? What does it mean to pull somebody out with fear? I'll think of this example. If you were around the swimming pool, we have the church picnic going on, you're around the swimming pool, and somebody brought a little six-month-old baby. Let's make it, uh, let's make it ten-month-old baby. They're just old enough to walk around. And it was walking over by the pool and fell in. How would you pull that baby out of the pool? What would be going on the inside of you? Oh, isn't that nice? Oh, the baby's in the pool. Oh, I, I bet he's just having a good time. Maybe I'll go over there and just check him out. Just see, how that, how's that baby doing? Is that what you would do? No. no, if you saw a little baby like that fall into the pool, the first thing that you do is? You jump up, you run over to the thing, you reach down, and you grab that baby, and you yank that baby up. Because you are in fear of that baby coming into harm. If you saw somebody running out into the street and you saw a car coming, do you say, don't go out in the street? Or do you shout from the top of your lungs, yo! Get their attention. You see, when you do something With fear, you're fearing that some harm is going to come to that person. And so you act in a certain way in which you will even grab them forcefully and remove them. Not thinking about, well, am I being being gentle? I don't care about being gentle right now. I care about getting the baby out of the water. Pull that baby out of that water. That's what we need to do. In fear, let's look at it again. But others save with fear. So others what? (laughs) The ones we're not having compassion on. The ones we're not having compassion on. Other people. Save with fear. How are you going to do it? Same way Jesus did. You Pharisees. You evil people. You make your... You make your followers twice as fit for hell as you are yourselves. Calls them what they are. Deceivers. Liars. Call them out. He's not trying to candy coat anything. Not trying to be, he's, he's trying to save them. He to get you out of the fire. What kind of fire do you think they're in? They're heading for hellfire. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Do you notice in the same group of sentences he's talking about the love of God, he uses the word hate? Maybe you didn't notice that before. 
the same paragraph sentences or verses that he is talking about keeping ourselves in the love of God, he uses the word hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Who's supposed to be doing the hating? Come on, who's supposed to be doing the hating? The person doing the loving. The person doing the uh, discerning. One doing the saving and the pulling. That one. That's the one. When you walk in the love of God, there are some people, folks, that you may not be very nice to. And it's okay. Because, you see, the compassion of God swells up on the inside of you. And you see some of the harm that they're doing to other people. And you just can't walk in the love of God and just be compassionate to those folks. Because on some, we have compassion. But not all. On some. So he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. On some have compassion. Not all. If we should have compassion on all, why didn't, why didn't Jesus? He didn't have compassion on all. This word, this, um, this word distinction, I wanted to read this verse of scripture before we quit here. Matthew 16, verse 2. He answered and said to them, When it was evening, you said it would be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, you will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites. There's a good word, huh? Slap them side of the face. Hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. That word there, discern, is the same one that we saw here in Jude. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. So, what moved Jesus? Those things that move Jesus, folks, those are the things that you need to be moved by. Those things that didn't move Jesus, you shouldn't be moved by at all. Not if you're going to be walking in the love of God. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Compassion for myself is selfishness. There's lots of people who can be compassionate for themselves called selfish people. But we are called to have compassion on some, on other people. How much does my having compassion on others have to do with what others do to me? That's a question you got to ask yourself. Am I more compassionate with those people that are nice to me, that are kind to me, that operate in a certain way toward me? Is that what ignites my compassion? If that's the case, then I'm more selfish. Jesus did not operate in compassion because of what people did for him. Look at all those situations we read. None of those people did anything for Jesus. They all needed him to do something for them. But he had compassion for them. When you learn what it is that ignites the compassion of God and what it is that turns off the compassion of God, turns off the mercy of God. You will have a much easier time navigating the waters of human emotion 
and all the activity that they put out. Because you'll be able to say, this does not get God's attention. I'm going to keep on going. Wait a minute. This one does. And the thing that it is, is not what they can do for you. Not how much help they can give for you. Because in all these situations, it's how much help you are giving to them. But who has put themselves in a position for the compassion and the mercy of God? You will wear out the walk of love that you are trying to do for God. You will wear it out if you try and have compassion on all. And if you try and have compassion on those for whom God has said there is no compassion, you have to generate that compassion from another source other than the love of God. And it will wear you out. It will drain your resources. And you will feel inept, condemned because I'm not walking in the love of God the way I think I ought to. And the devil is having a heyday. You can meditate on these three verses of Scripture here. Well, four verses. 20, 21, 22, 23. Meditate on them for a little while. In fact, this week, just keep mulling over them. Get that down. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercies of God. On some have compassion, making a distinction. Make that distinction. Understand what is it that God is doing that is bringing that distinction about. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday. What a great act of compassion that Jesus demonstrated towards us. When he, on that night that he was betrayed, went up into the upper room. He's getting himself ready. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be crucified. And he's going to die. He wasn't beaten for the sickness and disease on his body. He was beaten for it on ours. He didn't go to the cross to forgive the sins of him. He went to the cross to forgive the sins of us. He did all these things for us. He gave of himself for us. What a great example of mercy and compassion. See, Jesus was caught up with compassion for us that the sacrifice of the cross was not too great. He was willing and ready to do that for you. Just as you sometimes have gotten yourselves with compassion and you wanted to reach out and help some child who was in need, some person who was in a bad position, and everything in you wanted to go over there and help them. Everything in him, in Jesus, wanted to go to the cross for you. He was moved with compassion for you.
we take part of the Lord's Supper together. When he was in that upper room, he started off by taking the bread. Before the meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And then after supper, a whole meal in between because these are two distinct parts of salvation. The first for our sickness and disease and the things that affected our physical body. The second for what affected our spirit, our soul, the sins that we walk in and the sin that we were born in. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't cleanse us. It just covered up the sin. But Jesus' blood is going to wash us completely clean. Nothing we need to add. No penance. No sadness. Just accept what he did. Let's drink together and remember. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for that great love that you had for us. That you were willing to send your son on an assignment to this earth to live here, be victorious over sin, and to go to the cross and pay the penalty that we deserved. We thank you for that. We thank you that we can walk in the life of Jesus, the life of God. The Spirit of God makes His home in us that our lives are forever changed. Help us, Father, as we go out into the world to walk in this love, to look for the mercies of God, to have compassion on some, and to discern or distinguish between those in need of compassion and those needing saving from the fire. I thank you that you help us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I like that song. Thanks for playing that, Brother Nikolai. Hmm. I have a couple of prayer requests that were, that were here. Read these to you before we, before we go. Uh, Ring, as of September 26th, I have been discharged from my duties at Grandview Hospital. I ask for prayer that God will lead me in a new employment opportunity or guide me to make other choices with my financial situation to provide for my family's needs. So, uh, he is, he is looking for a, a job apart from Grandview Hospital. You can be praying with him on that. Uh, Susan, please agree with me that this... Oh, gum infection. Ah, oh, got it. Okay. Gum infection is healed in Jesus' name. 
<clears throat> and this is a praise report from my, my mom. God is, is good, or God is God of the little things. I had a TV problem and placed the call to Verizon. They talked me through a process to restore signal. When I got stumped, there was a knock on my door. God sent someone to finish the process. <coughs> all right, let's all stand up. Get some folks to lay hands on Sister Susan over here. Head on over. Let's just, let's just pray over Susan here today. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the healing power of Jesus. We thank you for what has been provided for us through his work in going to the cross. And in the name of Jesus, we just speak healing to those gums. Sickness and disease, you have no part in that body. In Jesus' name, those gums are healed. Father, I thank you for it. That your healing power is at work right now to restore those, those gums. We thank you for it. We thank you too, Father, for Ray ministering to him. He left early today not feeling well. But as he believes and stands, Father, I thank you that it's done for him healing in his body and direction and what to do for a job. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Good to have you here today. Thanks for, for coming. Cover Dish is next Sunday. We're going to be having the Cover Dish, so plan on sticking around. Afterwards, bring, um, bring out some food, uh, enough food for your family. Got a small family, a little bit of food, bigger family, bring, bring a little bit more. And, um, and then we just put it all out.